very good morning to you. This is James Ross with Money Talk. It's 16 minutes past eight. And let's uh, welcome our guests for today, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Good morning to you. Uh, nice to have you on the show. And let's also say hello to Catherine Young, who is Investment Director at Fidelity International. Good morning, Catherine. Morning, James. Thanks uh, both. And, uh, you know, let's kick off uh, with a, a quick look uh, at the interest rate situation. The Bank of England uh, holding steady after the uh, uh, Fed's uh, similar decision yesterday. Catherine, any surprises there from uh, the Bank of England? No, and I think when we look across the world with all these global central banks, we're still in this holding pattern in terms of really you know, monitoring the data, especially when it comes to inflation, before we see any significant moves. Andrew, your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts remain absolutely the same. And Andrew Mars, looking down to central banks in Earth, he will be bursting into laughter. Two of them uh, are keeping interest rates high, and that is the European Union and the European Central Bank and, uh, and the Fed. The People's Bank of China is actually indifferent on its interest rates policy. There isn't really any. I mean, they're not saying we're going to cut in order to support the economy. Instead, they offer quantitative measures in terms of uh, reducing the reserve requirements. And the uh, Bank of Japan says we're staying with negative interest rates for the time being. <laughs> so what are the directions of interest rates in the global economy? The answer is, is I don't know. Ask me one question, ask me one question, and I'll give you an answer. <laughs> Well, of course, it's uh, it's uh, big tech and um, Amazon and uh, Meta uh, and Apple, which have been driving things uh, in the U.S. markets today. Uh, big tech still on the up, uh, Catherine. Uh, seems, um, you know, good results pretty much all around, although China uh, for iPhones, not so good for Apple. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and don't forget, consumers in China have choice in terms of brands and, and the local brands are really starting to increase their market share. Uh, across a number of segments when we look at the con consumption story. So it's, an, it's interesting and also from a supply side, you're seeing a lot of the Chinese companies also ramping up with technology, whether it's memory, whether it's AI. Um, automation is, is huge in China in terms of the emphasis and the automation sector in terms of robotics. I mean, very high barriers of entry when you look at you know, the other players such as the, the companies from Germany and Japan. Are we going to see, Catherine, the, you know, continuance of China looking at uh, its own manufacturing and supply? We're seeing, of course, the phones. You know, we've heard in the last few months about uh, new Chinese planes. Is that going to be continuing? Yeah, definitely. And, and what you're seeing now with many Chinese companies, again, whether it's Internet, uh, consumption, whether it's industrials, materials, is they have growth or growth expectations from demand in China. And then they're also accumulating customers overseas. So it's a two pronged approach in terms of their growth strategy. Uh, but nevertheless, things not so great in in certain sectors, notably uh, the property sector. Um, Evergrande uh, still, you know, that's going to uh, rustle on for quite some time, uh, one suspects. And, uh, you know, property generally, Andrew, not uh, looking at any chance of recovery anytime soon, do you think? Well, uh, it depends where you're looking at. Of course, United States uh, aimed in... Uh, I'm meaning in China well. particularly. Uh, in my, you know, well, in China, we just had uh, two pretty grim reports. And that was the 100 biggest uh, uh, developers uh, just produced one more decline of a raw decline of sales um, during December. And if you look overall their performance for the last 12 months, out of those 12 months, only four months were increases 
in sales. The rest of them were all decreases in sales. My favorite little index, I'm not saying that sarcastically or sadistically, and that is uh, prices of new homes in 70 big and small Chinese uh, cities for 21 months has been actually shrinking, not just falling. But falling is perfectly okay. You go from 10% to 9%. No, no, no. It's actually shrinking. So, and of course, we had ever granted, <laughs> ever granted. So as we look down the road, Andrew, in you know, 12 to 18 months or, or beyond, you know, is this decline in the property market going to continue you know, as we look in that sort of long-term zone? Unfortunately, I'm going to sound like an economist. depends where you're looking at. In the case of Hong Kong, as long as we're not having decreases in American interest rates, the answer is yes. In the case of China, it's a completely different issue. Okay, it is not a matter that the Chinese simply had very high interest rates and that's squashed. The, the, the property sector is a complete issue of uh, bookkeeping, stroke, cleaning uh, balance sheets, as opposed to a really systematic issue of property sector going down. So the answer is, is depends, depends, depends. In Hong Kong, the issues I'm afraid with Mr. Powell saying, forget about March, we're looking out forward to something else. Actually, my own view is we're not going to see any cuts in interest rates, even by the middle of June, or by the middle of the summer. So in the case of Hong Kong, yeah, it's, it's bad news, unfortunately. And bad news uh, translates into negative equity as well. That's uh, you know a, a phrase that we've not heard uh, so much in the last decade or so, is it? But uh, is that a serious problem, do you think? Uh, in terms of the individual persons, uh, sounds very cruel here. Is yes, of course, it's bad news. In terms of the banks, no, because the banks in Hong Kong are notoriously conservative and have very large cushions against uh, the mortgages they lend to. So I don't think the banks are going to find a problem with uh, having in their hands bad debts. Okay, but of course, individuals will, and that reflects overall in the, in the health of the retail sector, on the private retail sector of property, yes. Catherine, are you tracking the, the property sector, particularly uh, in Hong Kong and China, and what are you seeing? As, uh, you know, are things as grim out there as, uh, as, we're, as, as we're hearing about? I agree with Andrew in terms of, you know, countries, uh, China's a very big country, so we're so used to seeing a, a one-way or broad-based recovery, and, and China's not going through that in terms of the market returns, in terms of the property sector, in, in terms of the economy. So when we look at the property market, you know, again, as Andrew pointed out, it's, it's, a, it's a crisis of confidence more so than a crisis financially. So property developers were just not completing the projects that citizens had paid for. So we're seeing the state-owned enterprises really come in. There's a lot of consolidation. And, and whilst we've seen property falls, let's say about 30 40% for the year, um, when you look at a couple of the state-owned enterprise developers, they've actually seen an increase in sales. So this consolidation is going to continue. You're probably going to see other private developers in terms of potential defaults. But the sector itself will be supported uh, by the state-owned enterprises. Uh, turning back to Hong Kong specifically, and, you know, I guess there's some good news coming out. Retail sales up 7.8% uh, year on year uh, in December and, you know, some good news on the GDP front. Andrew, you know, what are your thoughts about the GDP? Um, you know, is that significant or is that just, you know, getting back to where we were? Look, I have to preface this because, God, it sounds as if I'm insisting on taking away the passport and I'm uh, quite sure that it rains over our parade. <laughs> Look, Hong Kong has been my home for 37 years. I ache and I paint, but 
Okay, when I look at the numbers, I'm not going to tell you this was good. In the case of the GDP growth, it was fine, 3.2%, <laughs> against literally a minus 3.2 or so mm. the previous year mm. from a very low base. Mm. Ditto also are retail sales. Retail sales, okay, they were quite nice for December, 7.8%. Yeah, but the same December numbers in the previous year was just about 1%. Once again, until we clear out the negatives of the year 22, Okay, year 23 is going to give you misleading numbers. In other words, nice, strong recoveries against very low base effects. So I'm looking forward to going into 24 so as to turn the page over. There's no base effects. Now we we are flat. You know, we only have numbers, and it's no good saying, oh, spectacular increase in, in retail sales. Yeah, against negatives the previous year. Is it a case of uh, believing our own publicity here in uh, Hong Kong, Andrew? Well, you know, what do we need to do? Well, in a way, the good news is very little, because, for example, in the case of tourism, we just have the numbers for the whole of the year, a million, <coughs> said he clearly his, his throat, back 17, 18, 19, that's year 2017, 19, the numbers were 60 million. In other words, yeah, we're doing very nicely, but it is half the amount we used to. And this, of course, does impact retail sales and does impact indirectly the property sector in terms of what uh, the hotels are doing. So, unfortunately, in the case of tourism, there is very little we can do because 75% of all the tourists are mainland Chinese. And, uh, you know, it's no good saying we're going to have Taylor Swift and Beyoncé coming in, which is very good. <laughs> I think it is, it is uh, you know, the, the government is doing its best. I am not a critic that a lot more can be done because I just can't see how you can convince people to come okay, if uh, our own people here in Hong Kong are spending their money across the border. Well, some people around the world think uh, Taylor Swift can fix anything, I think. But uh, um, yeah. <laughs> turning to other matters... Uh, oh, boy, that was a bad example. Okay, please, please uh, erase it. Erase it out of, the, of, of your memory stick. Okay. Uh, I mean, turning more generally, Catherine, to, to other things, uh, you know, where, where are you looking at the moment for, for your clients? You know, what, you know, what, are, the, what are the sectors that are, are attractive uh, to you at the moment? You know, we're seeing a lot of opportunities across sectors. So... You can see energy companies trading at higher multiples than well-known consumer companies, staples as well as discretionary. Mm. So in this kind of environment where you could see further volatility, dips economic data-wise, uh, geopolitical tensions, it's about companies who can deliver earnings, who have that visibility, who reward minority shareholders through income, so dividends, and have a consistent dividend policy because that acts as somewhat of a cushion. And really, you know, those those leaders in the market that are going to continue to thrive after the economy picks up. Are there many of those companies uh, out there? Is it is that and is it easy to find those companies? Believe it or not, things don't seem as dire when you go into the mainland. And the companies, even the companies that were hampered by regulatory changes, they've either reinvented themselves, they've looked for other growth streams. As I mentioned, so many companies have got this two-pronged approach in terms of domestic as, as well as international. The area that we tend to stay away from are those overhyped segments where, you know, there are low barriers of entry. You're seeing a lot of capital flow into them. Uh, the risk-reward isn't that attractive because of what you're paying for these names. It's a bit like the U.S. with all those big tech names. You're paying very, very expensive multiples for potential returns. Andrew, sectors that, uh, that are attractive to you at the moment? 
Yeah, this is uh, completely off the wall, uh, James, and I make no apologies. You know that I'm a huge fan of the defense sector, which is unbelievably politically incorrect. And now with the Americans and the Europeans giving more money, uh, more aid uh, to Ukraine, all this means a lot more money is going to be spent on buying bullets. Okay, and the defense sector has been doing extremely well, but it's a big no-no when it comes to institutional investors, particularly in terms of mm. ESG. My new toy is, of course, is uh, with the likelihood that Trump is going to be the next uh, uh, Republican candidate, and also possibly might be re-elected, is this, uh, I'm making a list of what my clients should be buying under a Trump presidency. And that also is a nightmare of politically incorrect places. Okay. Okay, well, we'll watch that with interest. Andrew Ferris uh, is CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. And also uh, thank you to Catherine Young, who is Investment Director at Fidelity International. Well,